Slavery. It's a horrific evil in any time period and in any place. Mary Barber could tell you about slavery firsthand. She could describe the plantation, the stick and mud slave house with bunks, the long nights, hot days, hard whips, isolation. Mary Barber could tell you about it. Mary Barber was a slave. But she'd rather tell you about freedom. And that is what she did. In 1935, a worker from the U.S. government's Federal Writers Project knocked on Mary Barber's door in Raleigh, North Carolina. Mary told how they were not allowed to read or write or buy or sell. They couldn't go to church unless they were invited. Whippings were common. Hard work was a fact of life. But of all the memories, the most vivid and the one most shared was the hour of her freedom. In her words, as retold by Max Accato in his book, And the Angels Were Silent. She writes, I remember my pappy waking me up in the middle of the night, dressing me in the dark, all the time telling me to keep quiet. After we was dressed, he went outside, peeped around for a minute, and then he comes back in and got us. We snuck out of the house and along the woods path, pappy toting one of the twins and holding me by the hand and Mammy carrying the other two. I reckons I will always remember that walk, with the bushes slapping my legs, the wind sighing in the trees, and the hoot owls and the whip poor wills hollering at each other from the big trees. I was half asleep and scared stiff, but in a little while we passed the plum thicket. There on the mules and the wagon. There on the quilt at the bottom of the wagon, and on this they lays we young'uns. And Pappy and Mammy gets on the board across the front and drives off down the road. And Max Licato observes that the walk to freedom is never, ever forgotten. The path taken from slavery to liberation, it's always vivid in our minds. It's more than a road, it's, it's a release. The shackles are open and for perhaps the first time, freedom dawns. I reckons I will always remember that walk. Freedom is what we are here to celebrate this morning on Easter Sunday. At Christmas time, we celebrate Jesus' birth, and we're deeply grateful for his death on the cross on Good Friday, and we celebrate his resurrection from the grave on Easter Sunday morning. The resurrection is God's giant yes to the life of Jesus. Jesus conquered sin death, and the devil. 2,000 years later, the aftershocks of his resurrection, that world-altering event, are still reverberating around our world. This morning, we are going to consider some of the profound results of what does it mean that Jesus was, in fact, resurrected from the dead. If you have a print Bible, you can open to the second half of the Second half of the Bible, the book of Romans, chapter 6, or start your Ocean View app on your smartphone, or just follow along on the screen. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 and 7, and then 10 and 11. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. Sin. Sin is all the wrong and the evil that human beings do to each other and against our planet. All sin is against the morally perfect and loving character of God. The heart of God is to prevent us from engaging in sin because it damages ourselves and hurts other people. But that's exactly what our selfishness, our cruelty, our greed, and our desire for power and domination over others, that's what it brings into our lives. Sin stands behind the evil of slavery down through the history of the world. Every time one race tries to enslave another or one class of people tries to enslave another, it's the abuse of power, greed, hatred, fear, selfishness to guard position or wealth that stands behind the evil of slavery. Sin, in short, is the main problem of the human race. In those verses we just read from the Apostle Paul's book to that church in Rome, those verses make an explicit connection between sin and slavery. It says again in verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. You know, slavery is a perfect metaphor for the effects of sin in our lives. Hang out with anyone who's addicted to alcohol, drugs, pornography. You will observe firsthand how those kind of things become enslaving. They become chains wrapped around us. I've had the privilege of doing the Alcoholics Anonymous Step 5 with a number of individuals. Step 5, if you're not familiar with the 12-step program, is where they have to come, come to someone they trust and they basically tell you their life story. What are all the choices that led up to an addiction? What are all the bad they've done? And what are all the bad things that have happened to them? The shortest step five I ever did was an hour. The longest was almost four hours. <laughs> That's a little exhausting. But the courage and honesty of the people when they share everything in their life is just amazing. And they deserve so much credit. I think we could all learn a huge amount about freedom that comes from confessing our sins to God and to someone else. Sin is enslavement, but what Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago, when he laid down his life to pay for the debt of sin, when he was buried for three days in the tomb, and when he rose to new life, he broke the power of sin. He broke its ability to enslave us. We do not have to compulsively return over and over and over again to the wrong actions that hurt ourselves and others. That is part of why we are celebrating this morning on Easter Sunday morning. It's the best news possible. A friend of mine, his son became addicted to alcohol and his son's drinking by his early 20s was so bad that the parents thought they were going to lose him. And it got to a really, really desperate point. And finally, some along came to the family and said, there is an amazing program called Teen Challenge. If your son is willing to go, put him in it. It will save his life. And so he went. He was part of it. You need to live in it for well over six months, uh, preferably a year. You need to be in community. And over and over and over again, the people in the program are repeatedly told, if you want to break the chains of addiction in your life, 
The only way possible is through Jesus Christ. And that's repeated and told and understood in a hundred different ways. And everyone in the program, it's beautiful how they hold each other accountable. And that daily life causes them to not slip back into their ways. And uh, a lot of drug and alcohol rehab centers have a success rate under 20%. Teen Challenge has a success rate well over 80%. Absolutely amazing. And when this young man got out of the program, it's just been incredible what God has done in his life. He's been able to get married. He started a construction company. He's building houses. God has completely freed him from the addiction to alcohol. Now, the Christian church believes an amazing truth, that that same Jesus that breaks the chains of sin, that ends the domination of sin being our master that we are slaves to, that very same Jesus lives inside each and every person that says yes to following Jesus. That's why we can call a church the body of Christ. Jesus is a living presence here within us. Jesus came to break the, chin, the chains of sin that enslave us, but he also came to defeat another enemy. And that enemy is death itself. Jesus is the very first one, dead for three days in the tomb, but now alive forevermore in a transformed body. And I want to read that for us now in Romans 6. Eight, 8 and 9. It says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. Jesus lets us walk free from the addiction and the chains of sin, and he also lets us walk free from death. When Jesus was resurrected that very first Easter morning, he began a series of appearances to over 525 people. One of the most famous is Jesus appearing to one of his 11 closest followers, his disciples, and one of them was named Thomas. And you know what? I read that account again this week, and I am so thankful for Thomas. Because I have met tons of people in my life that say, well, you know what? If Jesus was right here in front of me, if I could touch him and I could see him, then I would believe. And Thomas got to do that. Let's read about it. John 20, 24 to 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, Put my hand into his side. I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. Stop doubting and believe. That may be exactly where your heart is at this morning. Part of you wants to believe it, but doubts keep creeping into your mind. 
My challenge for you this morning is a simple one. Check it out for yourself. Go and read the gospel accounts. There's four of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go read the accounts of Jesus' death, his burial, and his resurrection. If they strike you as a bunch of made-up, fanciful legends, then so be it. But I don't think that's what you'll find. I think you will be amazed that they sound exactly like the accounts of eyewitnesses telling you exactly what happened. To touch the scars on Jesus' hands and side was what Thomas, one of Jesus' closest followers, that's what he needed. What is it that you need this morning to take your final step of faith? Author Philip Yancey raises a fascinating question about Jesus' resurrection in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew. He says, one detail in the Easter accounts has always intrigued me. Why did Jesus keep the scars from his crucifixion? Presumably, he could have had any resurrected body he wanted. And yet he chose one identifiable mainly through scars that could be seen and touched. Why would he do that? This is what he says after pondering that. He says, one, I have come to believe that the story of Easter would be incomplete without those scars on his hand, the feet, and the side of Jesus. I take hope in Jesus' scars. From the perspective of heaven, they represent the most horrible event that has ever happened in the history of the universe. Even that event, though, the crucifixion, Easter turned into a memory. Because of Easter, I can hope that one, one day that the tears we shed, the blows we receive, the emotional pain, the heartache over lost friends and loved ones, all these will become memories. Now we begin to see the resurrection of Jesus is so powerful and important at every level of who we are as human beings. It ultimately satisfies the intellectual doubts of our minds when we research it. It provides hope in the face of tragedies in our world that seem to be happening more and more and more. It provides hope and personal perspective to our deepest emotional pain. And most of our deep emotional pain tends to revolve in the end around the death of people closest to us. As Philip Yancey says, Easter turned it into a memory. Romans 6, 8, 9, one more time. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. What Jesus accomplished in defeating death, he promises to each and every one of us who put our faith in him. We too will one day have a resurrected body just like Jesus. That resurrected body will never get old. It will never break down. It will never suffer from sickness. It is a body built for eternity. It's transformed. So Jesus lets us walk free from sin, and he also lets us walk free from death. And once we have gotten away from two of the worst slave masters in the universe, once we have taken that walk, that road to freedom, now we need to turn our attention to how Jesus and his resurrection changes our life right here, right now. The answer is found in another one of the letters that the Holy Spirit of God guided the Apostle Paul to write, this time to the church in Galatia. Galatians 5.1, one of my favorite verses, 
says, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. People who don't regularly go to church, I've heard them often express the misgiving. They say, well, you know, I'm really glad that whole Christian thing, I'm really glad it works for you. But it's, it's just not for me. I, I, I'm not really into religion. And every time someone says that to me, I want to scream out, neither am I. I'm not into religion either. Religion is not freedom. Religion is a checklist of duties that we try at really hard so that God will love us. Hear me loud and clear this morning. Jesus didn't die on the cross. He didn't spend three days in a tomb. He didn't rise again to establish a religious system that would enslave us. That is not his point. Jesus, Galatians 5.1, sees Christ has died for our freedom. When Jesus brought freedom, it was the real deal. He truly does want to follow us to follow him with joy, with spontaneity, and life. Christian author J.D. Greer in his book Gospel makes this powerful statement. He said, true religion is when you serve God to get nothing else but more of God. Many people use religion as a way of getting something else from God that they want. Blessings, rewards, even escape from judgment. That is wearisome and enslaving to us and to God. In order to illustrate his point, J.D. Greer talks about the time when he was getting near the end of his college degree. And in his degree, you had to take one fine arts course. And he says he remembers sitting down and, and looking at the options. He says there was one on classical music, one on poetry, and one on drama. And he said none of the three options really sounded that appealing to him. But he says, I thought maybe in the drama course there was a chance we could get up and do skits or something. And that sounded more enjoyable than listening to records or emoting poetry. He said that was a big mistake. He said half of the course was spent learning the names of obscure French directors. And the other half was watching videos of men in tights leap about a stage. <laughs> he says, every week I checked my macho card at the door. He said, but I needed a good grade in order to uh, maintain his GPA. So he toughed it out, studied hard, managed to get an A in the class. He says, when I write this, he goes, that was more than 15 years ago. And he goes, a lot has changed. In that time, I've gotten married. I now have three daughters. And my wife and I now have season's tickets to our city's performing arts center where we pay top dollar to see theater. Men in tights leaping about a stage. And he goes, you know what? I actually like it. He goes, think about it. How thick is that irony? In college, I used theater as a means to get money get the degree so I could get a job, make money. Now, I use my hard-earned money to get more theater. Theater used to be the means to the money, now it's the end of my money. And that is exactly how we are to think about our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is, a me it is not a means to an end. Jesus himself is the goal. He's the end. Following Jesus fills us with joy and freedom. When God in his 
is his own reward, the Christian faith becomes thrilling, sacrifice becomes joy. Let's hear J.D. Greer's statement one more time. True religion is when you serve God to get nothing else but more of God. Do you love that? We're beginning to understand just how serious God is about his declaration of freedom in Galatians 5.1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. And a lot of people have the mistaken belief that once you sign up to follow Jesus, all of the joy and all of the fun in your life will just be sucked out. It will be like voluntarily putting yourself in a straitjacket. You're not allowed to go to concerts anymore. You're not allowed to share maybe a beer with your best friend. And to those people who say that to me, I always want to see, really? Can you show me where that's written? Is there a verse that says I'm not allowed to go to a concert? But you know what the Bible is very clear about? It says when you follow Christ, it turns everything upside down. It transforms our lives. It transforms our worldview. So maybe before you know Christ, you just kind of go to the rock show and you just listen to it. And you just kind of passively take it in. But once you know Christ, the Holy Spirit inside you won't let you get away with that. When you go to a concert, you start listening to the words. You, you start thinking, now that's beautiful. I love what they said. Or, you know what? That's way off. I don't accept that, what they said. You begin to evaluate. You see things differently. Maybe before you know Christ, maybe 15 beers was your goal. But maybe after you know Christ, you're going to stop at one and you're actually going to enjoy it and remember the experience. <laughs> I want to read for you an amazing quote by J.I. Packer, one of the most brilliant Christian thinkers of the last 100 years. He says, I hold the heady doctrine that no pleasures are so frequent or intense as those of the grateful devoted, single-minded, wholehearted, self-denying Christian. For as the cheerful old Puritans used to say, the Christian tastes God in all of his or her pleasures. Love that. The Christian tastes God in all of his or her pleasures. I want to close this morning with the story of a man named Tagain. Tagain belonged to the Walamo tribe in the interior of the East African country of Ethiopia. In the years just before World War II, missionaries carried the message of Jesus to this tribe. This tribe had a long history of warfare and darkness. The witch doctors really controlled how people lived in that village. And one of the earliest converts was this man, Tagain. Raymond Davis was the missionary who knew him best and the one who freed him. You see, Tagain was a slave. His decision to follow Jesus displeased his master. He refused to allow Tagain to go to a Bible study, and if he caught him praying, he became extremely upset. This young believer was often beaten and humiliated for his newfound faith. But this young Christian, even though he didn't know much, it was a price he was willing to pay. There was another price that he could not afford. He couldn't purchase his freedom. For only $12, his master would release him. 
But for a slave who had never, ever made any money, had never known a salary, it might as well have been a million dollars. When the missionaries learned that his freedom could be purchased for $12, they met, talked it over, pooled their money, and purchased Tagine's freedom. Tagine was now free both spiritually and physically. And he never, ever outlived his gratitude to the men that had redeemed him. Soon after that, all the missionaries in Ethiopia were expelled from the country. All of them had to flee and go home. It would be 24 years later before Raymond Davis made it back to Ethiopia. When Tagine heard that his friend was coming, he went to the mission station several days in a row. Dates on a calendar or times didn't matter that much to Tagine. So he came every day to wait for his friend. Finally, he saw the car coming in the distance, the dust behind it. When Tagine saw the vehicle come around the last corner, he ran to the window. He grabbed his friend's hand and he held on. And the driver slowed the car so Tagine could run beside it. As he ran, he, told, he yelled to his friends that were assembled. He said, it's such a beautiful line. He says, behold, behold, one of those who redeemed me has returned. And he said, finally, the car stopped. Davis got out and the man dropped to his knees, hugged his feet and began to try to kiss his shoes. And Raymond said, no, no. And he picked him up and he embraced him like a brother. And he said, you are free. And this Easter 2017, you and I get to echo exactly what that Ethiopian believer said. Behold, behold, the one who has redeemed me has returned. He's returned from the grave and he's defeated sin. He's defeated death and he wants us to live in freedom. I think that's a pretty good way to live. Amen? We are going to have our pastoral. Let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus is 